Should I be afraid of it? I'm not really a young chicken anymore. Is there yoga for seniors? Is it a religion? Is it healthy? What if I'm out of shape? I'm a yoga beginner. Where do I start? Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go, where we talk about anything and everything. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is That Thing About Yoga. On this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Jennifer Dixon. She's a yoga evangelist who's passionate about yoga. She owns and operates Thrive Yoga and Fitness in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But don't worry, she can bring it right into your own home yoga studio. And we're going to show you why and how yoga should be a part of your life. I'm excited to introduce and welcome Jennifer Dixon. As I said in the introduction to the episode, you own and operate Thrive Yoga and Wellness Studio in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and how yoga has changed your life and how it can change ours? Sure. So I got into yoga about 10 years ago, right before I turned 30. I was training for the Disney half, no, the Disney full marathon. And my sister and I were going to do the Disney full marathon and we actually ran the Philly half marathon. And while I was doing all this training, I was also doing CrossFit and just being really hard on my body. And I ended up herniating a disc in my low back at my L5. And it happened, I, it happened, I'm pretty sure in the Philly half marathon around mile, you know, 11, 12. Uh, I, I just had to stop. I was like, something's going wrong. I couldn't pick up my left foot very well. It was very odd. And I'd been running 18, 19 miles regularly. So, you know, 12 miles is nothing at that point. And I ended up, had to go to the doctor, all this pain. And I went through eight rounds of four epidural shots in my back. And the doctor at the time, I was going to a great surgeon, but surgeons like to operate. You know, that's that's kind of their thing. And no, no offense, no, I don't judge anybody that did it. But they said, you know, we can't do this anymore. You have to have surgery. And I was petrified of that because my father had had surgery. He has three fused discs in his low back car accident. A lady ran a red light and got him. And I saw the ramifications of that and how the limited, the actual, you know, you take away the mobility of part of the spine, the other parts of the spine make up for extra wear and tear. And it's just this bad downhill cycle. At least it was, this is, you know, a lot, the, the science has gotten better now. And so my boyfriend, who's now my husband at the time, he saw me be miserable. I was hurting. I couldn't get out of cars. I had to use, I call them the, oh, my crap bars where I'm um, <laughs> using the handles to get into and out of the, the car. I have two little kids, so everything's PG-13. And I, I was hurting so bad. And he said, well, why don't you try yoga? And I was like, yoga's for sissies because I was into that, you know, like running, like make yourself die, like ba- wanting to be completely exhausted at the end of a workout or a wad. That was my jam. And the only yoga I'd been exposed to was like, and again, there's no offense to any of it, but I'm not into the frilly, you know, lingo of feel yourself floating. And I just, that's not me. And so he took me to a heated power class. I had to use the handle to get out of the car, the handles to go up the stairs. And I couldn't, I hurt so bad at the beginning. And at the end of the class, I could touch my toes without pain. I'm not kidding you or exaggerating. And I, I thought, holy crap, what just happened here? And that was kind of the beginning of it. That's amazing, actually. 
especially especially coming from a back injury because most people think that a back injury basically uh ends it yes for a lot of people that was where i was i was super depressed i couldn't my only exercise was the running and like the the hard heavy heavy stuff and so i you know the depressed thing the gaining of the weight the being depressed leaving too much just angry angry at the world everything it was all compiling and and I'm so thankful to this day that my my husband was like, just try it. And he kind of was like, well, what do you have to lose? You're, you're not feeling good now. If it makes you feel better, what do you have to lose? And I mean, I've been practicing uh, five, six days a week, basically ever since, you know, with some exceptions for pregnancy and all that kind of stuff. But it's been it's been my I'm I'm 100 percent convinced that's been my lifesaver. And the thing about it is and this we can maybe get into in a little bit americans and i feel like here in the west we like to take a pill and feel better you know and with a back injury with a herniated disc and we've talked about it i don't like to take pills either um with a, a disc injury and a back injury, you can't just do one thing and you'll be better for the rest of your life. You, this is a lifelong practice to help maintain the strength that you need of all the supporting structures, all the muscles, everything around that injury so that it can you can have that mobile pain-free life. And and so that's the thing. If I don't practice, my back hurts. It, that's There's like this huge correlation. You know, you skip a few days of practice, suddenly my back is hurting. So I've, I have the tools, but I have to use them every day in order to keep that back pain at bay. It's a philosophy oh. as well as a practice. Correct. Correct. Well, let's talk yoga. Sure. Yoga has been around since uh, forever, I think. So, yeah, thousands and thousands of years. I know it's been practiced by millions mm -hmm. um, all over the world, actually. I know it originated in ancient India, mm -hmm. uh, but there are those that don't know about this unique and naturopathic approach to health. So if you can help me expand the knowledge of our audience, basically, what is yoga? Is it a religion? Ooh, there's some deep thoughts there. So I... I practice Ashtanga yoga, and that's actually called the eight limbs of yoga. Um, the physical components is what most people know about. Those are the asanas. That's only actually one limb of the yoga practice. That's the one that most people are familiar with. There's also breathing work. That's called pranayama. There's meditation. Then there's also you know, ethical and moral guidelines by which you could live on a very basic level. Yoga just means union. It's kind of uniting your body with your mind, your body with your breath. Um, new people getting into it, the most you have to really think about it. Cause if you start diving into, it is a certain aspect of some people's religion, but it doesn't have to be. Does that make sense? Because in especially where I am, the that can be the practice of yoga. And we get people, oh, I can't practice yoga. I'm a Christian. And and it it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can very well be both because you're um you're on you're honoring your body, your temple from a Christian perspective and getting it to move through all of the different planes, getting it to be mobile because mobility is a part of fitness. It's a part of wellness as well as it's strengthening the muscles. And since it's weight bearing, it's building bone density. So I kind of feel like yoga is the original um, <laughs> functional fitness. You know how CrossFit saying it's functional fitness. I feel like yoga was the OG of fu functional fitness because you're moving your body in all sorts of directions, every different plane, forward, stretching, and you're building strength at the same time. It's, it's a beautiful practice. So that sort of answered your question, but not really. 
Well, yes, actually, I think you gave a very defined um, description of what it is. And I agree with you from my research and from what I know of it. It isn't a religion, but some people may choose to practice it as a religion on their own. Yeah. So that brings me to this. I know you don't have to be a hippie to be practicing yoga. Uh, I grew up in a town or in an area where uh, we had a town full of uh, so-called hippies. That kind of ages me a little bit. But... <laughs> Um, you know, back then everybody thought, oh, if you practice yoga, you, you're a hippie. And if you practice yoga, you're a vegan and, and so forth. So I'm a vegan. I choose to be that way because it helps me manage my autoimmune disease. And I think the modern, like the misconception is that most people think anyone who practices yoga must be a vegan, a vegetarian, or a hippie. Do you agree with that? So I'm not a vegan. I'm not a vegan. We in Tennessee, we're big barbecue people. Um, so the way that my teacher, I've, uh, I've, I've been practicing with Manju Joyce for about 10 years. I found him very early in my yoga practice. And the way that my teacher explains it, and it's kind of been the best thing for me, is he doesn't like to tell anybody what to eat or what to drink for that matter. The longer you practice, the more your body is going to tell you what to eat. So for me personally, we do live a very, very mostly vegetarian diet. I can't have milk. I had to give it up when I was breastfeeding my son. And when when he quit breastfeeding, I couldn't drink it anymore. So I do miss my, my dairy in some places, but then I'm not as snotty as I used to be. But if you drink milk, I'm never going to say, oh, you can't practice yoga. I can tell you that the more that you practice, the more your body will dictate what you should you should and shouldn't eat. And so as a personal example, I really don't eat red meat anymore just because it doesn't feel, feel good to me after I practice. I prefer, I, I grew up in a home where it, it wasn't a dinner unless it was meat, preferably red, and usually some sort of potato, right? And so right. to transition from that, you know, traditional American diet, I'm using air quotes, um, to this mostly vegetable full diet, it's it's been a, a transition for me over the course of the 10 years, but it's been very gradual and very natural and not something that I have made a conscious decision. It's just been one of those yeah. Uh, you know, the last time I had a hamburger, dude, that didn't sit well. I think I'm just going to, I think I'll have some soup or I'll have some salad or it, it just naturally changes. And even, even so much as like sugar, it, we don't even think about sugar and how inflammatory it is. And I have always been somebody that loves sugar, but it starts to, you start to notice the longer that you practice the direct implications and the direct impact on your body. And so, although you don't have to be a vegan, you don't have to be a hippie. Um, you can be, but you don't have to be those to practice yoga. I can tell you that the longer that you practice, the your diet will naturally become more holistic, you know, plant-based usually and, and whole foods, not, you just won't want fast food anymore. Like I just don't even crave it. That, and that's, I can uh, attest to the fact that uh, when I became vegan, uh, say, uh, as we spoke before, I, I do eat fish occasionally, so that makes me a pescatarian, I guess, is what they call it. But I know that 
I heal quicker after my surgeries. Mm -hmm. I feel better. My inflammation from my rheumatoid arthritis does not flare. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel good all the way around. So I know it's a choice. But, you know, when I was researching this, I had some people that asked me that question. So I thought, well, let's clarify it. Yep. It's, it's, for me, it's, if somebody was to tell me, hey, dude, you can't eat that anymore. I'd give them the finger, basically the proverbial or literal finger and, you know, eat it in front of them. I'm just kind of that rebel. Like you can't tell me what I can and can't do. But if it's something that like happens on the inside and it's like, oh man, I kind of felt like crap after I ate that. Then it just becomes this natural aversion and it happens on its own. And I prefer a more, I guess, a slower, less drastic approach to to your practice, to your physical practice, to your lifestyle changes, including diet. Well, as you said earlier, there's some different elements of yoga, and I know that there are various forms of yoga. Can you help us to understand and learn maybe what the different options are for yoga? Sure. So I prefer a little bit more of the vigorous physical because, again, I did come from that background. So my training has been my my first trainings were all in power yoga under the Baptiste style. So that's very physical. Baron Baptiste got his start like in the gyms out west. So it's very physical. You're going to get the strength building. And then I I transitioned into Ashtanga very early on. Again, very physical, strength-based, but it can be therapeutic. But then there are the less less strenuous varieties, and those are sometimes called vinyasa too, like a yin, which was actually developed here in the West, and that's straight-up mobility. It's helping to stretch and and change your fascia, your connective tissue. And it's practiced usually in a cool room. You sit or lay, or you hold these postures for three to five minutes. And that's really great for athletes that are really dealing with mobility issues. It's great for our seniors again, because as you age, you're not moving through your full range of motion. So to get in and actually make that fascia stay long. That's a a great one. There's also restorative, which is a beautiful practice that is very little movement. You're just completely trying to relax. You're holding all of these poses with pillows, bolsters, blankets, trying to force yourself to relax because in today's society, we're going, going, going nonstop. When do you ever get to completely support yourself and just breathe? Because the magic of a yoga practice is the breath or the, in yoga, it's called pranayama, another aspect of yoga. And so restorative is great because you're completely relaxed and you are breathing into these different areas to help bring about a more, it might be slow, naturopathic way of um, building mobility and and stress reduction. So So, that's just a few. So in essence, obviously, uh, one of my questions was, it can be used to heal. Mm. So some, some of the perspectives that you just talked about, I think, would fit within that realm. I am not a doctor and yoga Alliance, because I do have a school with my, my studio. I am not allowed to say therapy because I'm not a yoga therapist. That is in my training goals for sure. I am trained. Manju has given me his blessing to do his Ashtanga yoga therapy. So I can speak from that regard and I can speak from personal experience and tons of other anecdotal people that I know. And I've actually highlighted several on our blogs about how yoga has helped to be an integral part 
And some people would even say yoga has healed them. Yoga helped me get better, helped heal me. I can't say because I'm not a doctor that yoga heals, but I do believe that there's power in the mind and there's power in your breath. And the more that you use your mind and your breath to help you move through the body, like we talked about a little bit before we were hit recording, your body wants to heal. And your body, the yoga practice just gives you kind of a systematic way to use your mind and your breath to move and to move it through its full range of motion to bring about healing. I'm a firm believer in that. Firm. I that's why I practice it. It helped heal my back. Well, and and I'm all for the alternative and holistic approach to healing. And I know that there are all kinds of forms to heal. As um, you and I had talked about, I practiced uh, Tai Chi and now Qigong, which is a medical form of uh, Tai Chi, actually, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Kung Fu, a combination. So in regards to that, again, you know, they say the same thing, that it's up to you to whether or not you allow that yep. to be able to heal you both physically and mentally. Yep. And, it, and they, don't, they don't say that it will. They say that it can based upon your ability to understand it, practice it, move it forward, and yep. how you personally feel about whether or not it's going to make a difference in your mind, body, and your soul. Yep, I agree 100%. Do you think, now this obviously is not a professional question, it's just a personal question. If somebody's suffering from depression or from grief um, or something from loss, do you think that something like the practice of yoga or getting into the practice of yoga might help them mentally, especially with the um, meditation portion of it? Oh, yes. I have several clients, actually one of my dearest friends, and uh, she found yoga dealing with a very, she was in the midst of a a big, big grief. And she credits yoga for helping to not just get her through the grief, um, managing all of the grief related outcomes of of loss Um, with with grief and with depression. The body does some crazy, crazy stuff where and you can get into some, some some studies or stress. You know, it raises your cortisol. You're holding all these things in our bodies like a psychological or an emotional event doesn't just happen like in your head, like it gets held in different areas of your body. So with a yoga practice and again, conscious movement, conscious uh, meditation, you know, moving meditation, you're moving through these these postures and moving through these emotional situations and it can very well help you to move through. Do you ever really recover from grief? I that's one of those things where the the loss is still there, but the direct impact of your day-to-day life with a good practice of yoga and with time, you can release some of those binds that hold you to the grief so it's not as painful. You can honor the loss. You can honor the memory of if it's somebody that you lost, or you can honor whatever what it is that has caused you to be down, but you don't have to be tied. Those strands that are hot, tying onto you, whether it's into your upper traps, so that your shoulders are up by your ears, whether it's in your low back, so your back is chronically tired, you can cut those ties that are holding you tight with a good yoga practice, with that breath, that meditation, that movement, and you, you still have the situation there. You still have the lost the grief, maybe even whatever it was that caused you to have the depression. But because you're spending the time moving and breathing and meditating through it, it can help to lessen the severity of it. I totally believe in that. I agree with that. 
Uh, do you think from a physical aspect that you can um, possibly consider it helping you to maybe lower your blood pressure or help you sleep better at night? Oh, yes, 100%. 100%. Well, with yoga, you are usually in a physical practice, like in vinyasa or ashtanga, you're practicing it with an ujjayi breathing, which is a type of pranayama, and it's a very controlled breath. Guess what it does? It helps to lower your blood your heart rate, which would then therefore like uh, reduce your stress, reducing your blood pressure. Um, one of the, the many documented studies I like to, to write about this because I'm kind of dorky is about how people that are run through these tests of does yoga help? They do. One of the side effects is improved sleep. So yes, it can help to reduce it. There is a couple, there is a caveat with if you're on blood pressure medicine, or if you do have high blood pressure, you're not supposed to run into certain poses where your legs are up above your head and all of that thing. But if you're, if you're paying attention to what's going on, like how your body feels, you can definitely see some improvements with a regular practice and a knowledgeable teacher. You don't want to rush through anything. Well, I meditate on a regular daily basis and I use it to relax me and to help control my pain and to help control my um, stress mm -hmm. and to help kind of manage my disease a little bit. So kind of in a sense of almost I'm almost practicing yoga. You are. You are. <laughs> you're practicing one of the limbs of yoga with your meditation. Well, and I'm if excited. you're doing breathing, then you've got some pranayama in there. I do that as well. So yeah, so you're uh, practicing too. I've got two of them. Cool. <laughs> One might say the fact that you're vegan, you're practicing ahimsa, which is part of another limb. So I mean, I, you're a yogi. I'm a yogi. I'm a yogi. <laughs> I got, I have to put that in my bio now. Yeah, yeah. You don't have so, to stand on your head to be a yogi. I don't think I could ever stand on my head unless <laughs> I accidentally stand on my head, and that <laughs> wouldn't be good. <laughs> hate being upside down. So yeah, <laughs> you, I don't do it very often. Well, it, that brings me to another question. Um, just and this is personal as well as uh, some of the people that were asking me. But as I told you, I have severe rheumatoid arthritis, which gives me physical limitations. And although I take a naturopathic and a holistic approach to managing my disease, Due to my physical limitations, I'm not as flexible and as strong as I used to be. So earlier you mentioned something about fascia. Is that something that somebody with a disability or something with limited physical mobility can possibly do or practice or learn? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah um, we actually have a lot of clients that have rheumatoid arthritis or various forms, osteo-rheumatoid. Uh, we have a lot of clients that come into the studio, and I have some some arthritis myself building up with my, where my back injuries are, and I am 100% convinced that it is the yoga and the focused stretching on all of those places where there's scar tissue, where the arthritis is starting to form. It's moving it to help reduce some of the scar tissue being formed. And I am believing that it's going to help uh, turn some of it away. All the doctors say, no, I don't like to listen to that. I just, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't like receiving that sort of information. So I believe that the longer I practice, the more I'm practicing, the, the better it's being in keeping that stuff at bay. And that's my own personal anecdotal um, evidence. But in terms of the, in my studio, we have a lot of folks, especially in the yin practice, um, they come in specifically for, because those poses are designed to help change the connective tissue, change the fascia. 
in there. So with injuries, with um, illnesses such as arthritis, when you get into a stretch where you're holding it for three to five minutes, that's where you start to have this magic of change in the fascia. And it's, it's a very slow meditative practice. You have to be dedicated to sitting with yourself, even though it's uncomfortable. I mean, could you imagine uh, you can see me, but you're, uh, the audience can't. Could you imagine sitting there with a shoulder or a, a pec stretch for, you know, three minutes? That's intense. That's intense. But that's where kind of the magic happens with yin. That's that's interesting because it's obviously different from uh, other forms of fitness mm-hmm. because me um, in in with my disease management, um, I call it a disease because it it is not a contagious disease. It's it is a physical disease that took over my body. I can't stretch in some forms. I can't uh, I can't lift weights. I can't uh, jog. I can't run. I mean, there's several things that I cannot do because of my mobility issues and my you know my disease. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, I think. I think that would be very helpful for people in my position because even though you would have to hold something for three minutes or stretch it, I was getting atrophy when I was in a wheelchair for a little while. And by the way, to your previous statement about listening to doctors, I honestly spent four years in a wheelchair. I was told by five doctors I would never walk again. So I don't always listen to doctors. Yeah, Not right. saying that you shouldn't listen to doctors. <laughs> Correct. From my perspective, there's always an opportunity to look for a different approach. Yep. And if it works for you, fantastic. Yep. I agree. I agree. And so let's let's talk a little bit. This might be getting a little dorky, Michael. And if it is, then you can set, tell me to, to stop. There, When you weight lift, you're breaking your muscles, right? When you're strength training, you're actually tearing your muscle fiber so that you can help build more muscles. When you are doing a static stretch, and there's a static stretch and a dynamic stretch. Dynamic stretch is like when you move through the motions of an exercise without any added weight. That's kind of a dynamic stretch. A static stretch is the ones that we're doing in a yin class. So like the stretch that you get into and you hold. Guess what? Those are also causing little bitty micro tears in the muscle fibers and in the the, the tissues. And when you, when you hear tears, sometimes your shoulders might creep up and you're like, Oh, what the heck does that mean? That's not necessarily bad. Granted, you don't want to push it too far, of course, but what happens when you have those little tears as you're moving in that mobility, what's that doing? It's causing blood flow to come to that area. What does blood bring? Blood brings oxygen, oxygen's life and healing. So it is my view that with those static stretches, with that yin practice, with the the physical yoga practice, you can bring healing just like um, the the just like with those tears and strength training is building muscle mass. You can bring healing in those areas that are kind of stuck because we're we're not ripping it in part. We're causing these little bitty little traumas that helps to heal it. It's kind of like dry needling or acupuncture. Have you had that? 
I do acupuncture uh, as often as I can. Actually, my wife was taught how to do it on me. Oh, awesome, awesome! So, so I, I, there's a lot of deepness that's way deeper than causing micro trauma to the area. But dry needling is basically trying to cause little bits of micro trauma to those areas to bring about healing, right? And so, if you think about a big strat, static stretch, I love acupuncture or and and um, dry needling. If you think about it in a way of it's causing this little bitty trauma so that it can bring blood flow and healing, then maybe it becomes something that it's easier to understand the quote medicine of the practice. Yeah, I love I love acupuncture. Actually, oh, I've been doing too. it. Uh, I was doing it before it was a fad 20, 30 years ago. Oh wow, that's awesome! And, that's um, awesome. Well, let me. Yeah, thirty years ago. Man, I'm getting old. <laughs> Isn't it crazy being able to say, oh, man, that's 30 years ago that that happened. Oh, yeah, it's very, very strange. Having yeah, memories. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I, I was lucky enough 30 years ago to find a Chinese doctor that got me into acupuncture. And um, I've done it ever since. When we first moved down here, um, I had a bad experience with an acupuncturist when we first moved here. But uh, I was able to locate a different one. And uh, this individual, Dr. An, has a, a, a wonderful practice here in um, acupuncture in addition to the rest of what I do to help myself with the Qigong and the Tai Chi and the herbs and the men and everything else. Yep. I'm literally on no outside medication for my rheumatoid. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a very, very positive thing to look into. It, it really yeah, is. I agree. And, and I know we just got off of that just a little <laughs> bit. But, um, well, you know, on, on that same note, you know, I watched this in this question it kind of plays into what you just said, but I had seen a, a television program, a news program, news special, where this individual that was uh, instructing in karate was actually taking individuals in who had Parkinson's and dementia. Um, my father-in-law had uh, been diagnosed with both. So I'm familiar with, with those. He originally was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and it, it uh, developed, well, I can't say it developed into dementia. Basically what, what he'd done is he'd been treated for Parkinson's for probably eight years, but basically misdiagnosed because he, <laughs> was taken to the Barrow Neurological Center here when he when we brought him down here with us and it turned out that he had dementia. So with dementia you get Parkinsonism, which are symptoms of Parkinson's and it's just part of the actual dementia. But anyway, the they tried to keep him physical and they tried to keep him um, active and focused because he was sundowning and some of his memory issues that were coming about. Do you think and again there, there's a disclaimer that I put on my episodes that deal with anything like this mm -hmm. that states unless specifically, specifically bringing on a doctor mm -hmm. that we're not medical practitioners and that the medical advice in here is not medical advice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The advice in here is not medical device and advice and so forth. So just so you know that. Okay, I should have told you that in the beginning. I appreciate that. <laughs> I yeah. do my. I, I try to disclaim it too. But you're asking if I believe yoga can help yeah. with things like Parkinson's and dementia. Yeah, so I'll, I'll rephrase the question so I can sure. cut that part out if you don't mind. No. So, do you believe, uh, from a personal perspective, in your practice and in your experience, that? Yoga can help somebody with maybe something like Parkinson's or dementia, which is a brain disorder. 
Yes, I, I totally believe that. In fact, uh, several years ago, one of the major hospitals here in town reached out to us and asked us to partner with them and their uh, their Parkinson's. They have a we have a huge Parkinson's support network here in Chattanooga. And so for the past three years, we've been a big part of their Parkinson's Expo, where we show different types of yoga that you can do. And recently we started actually demonstrating how um, it can be beneficial for both the 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 seated partner, the person that's that's with the Parkinson's as well as their caregiver, because oftentimes caregivers get hurt trying to take care of the, the client um, with the, the Parkinson's. There are lots of studies that uh, have been proven that with Parkinson's, and you can see me, but your audience can't, so I'll try to use my words. With Parkinson's, your body naturally starts to enclose on itself. So almost think about like you're rounding forward, your shoulders round forward, your chest rounds forward, your body rounds forwards. It's like you're getting to be a smaller and smaller version of yourself. All of this, there are side effects of Parkinson's. Yoga, one of the benefits of a yoga practice for Parkinson's people is it's helping to fight against that. It's helping to keep those muscles lengthened and and um, strong and lengthened so that the natural response to Parkinson's of that rolling forward, which also impacts your ability to breathe. So there's two parts of the yoga that comes into play with Parkinson's. It, it helps to undo some of that. Furthermore, with Parkinson's, you have these, these issues with I don't want to use big words, basically taking bigger steps, using your arms outside of just a few mm -hmm. inches. I'm trying not to sound too technical and nerdy, but with the yoga practice, even if you're doing it in a chair, which we do offer that with our Parkinson's clients, you're, we're actively trying to remind the brain because remember we're a nervous system, right? Like everything's connected. And even though there's this dis-ease in the system, we want to remind it that these things are still connected. We can still move our arm full extension we can still move our leg full extension and we can do them at the same time even and so i definitely believe that yoga can help with a um, parkinson's diagnosis so on that same note do you feel that um, it might be able to help somebody with dementia get more focused? I know the the, the physical aspect of uh, Parkinson's and the mental aspect of Parkinson's I dealt with uh, personally. So I understand that both of them need to be uh, more focused. And, um, and uh, this, the thing you were talking about early with physical aspect of Parkinson's, um, the doctor called them baby step, that, they, that the individual goes into baby step. And they had to teach them to kind of walk again um, because they forget to take full steps. They forget to swing their arms. They, they don't move like normal. Um, and that comes from, from the doctor. So with dementia, it kind of almost does the same thing because your body forget, your body forgets everything. You forget how to talk, you forget how to eat, you forget how to walk, so forth. But I, I understand that they were giving him some focus exercises. Do you think somebody with dementia can be taught yoga? Yes. 
Yes, it's. Uh, I have a, an interesting anecdotal story, Michael, if you'll indulge me. My teacher, Manju, he's 75 this year. His dad, Patabi, who's the one that brought Ashtanga over, he was teaching into his late 80s. He, he died um, as a very old man with all of his mental faculties. And Manju says, and this again is anecdotal, but this makes me believe 100% in the power of yoga, especially with neurological, just mental capacity. Manju says, you know, in India with the, the folks that are practicing yoga, they don't have the Alzheimer's. They don't have the dementia because of the yoga practice with the pranayama. There's another aspect of yoga that we haven't really talked about, which is mantra, which is chanting. Um, some may call it prayers. And it's basically memorizing things and re-saying it over and over and over again. And so to answer your questions, according to my teacher, yes, yoga can 100% help with dementia. From a Western perspective, I believe I don't have any experience with it. My my grandparents both were diagnosed and they passed away with I, the ramifications of their body stopping working with the dementia. But I totally believe that the yoga practice, like teaching you to breathe, extra oxygen is never bad for your brain. Focusing on each posture and what you're doing every single time. Those are like rewiring again, because remember your brain, it wants to work. Your brain wants to fire these neurons. They want to continue to move. So, and forcing your brain to move your right hand one way, your left hand the other way, that's, those are, you know, moving those neurons and then help having them help to stay focused on the pos the, the breathing with the breath work. And even if you don't get into the mantras as in, in Sanskrit, you can still get into daily. Now it's called affirmations, right? Like the, the, I am strong things, just random small things that are all moving together to help keep the brain functioning. I, I definitely believe in that. And the, I just believe in the power of the brain wanting to heal itself. And we do everything we can to facilitate that healing. Well, I appreciate that. I think that others out there can appreciate that as well. Um, and basically that allows somebody to be able to do it with home care and help somebody through it with home care. Uh, we used to have to take David, my father-in-law, to a facility for rehab. And they didn't necessarily do yoga in specific, but they did things similar to what you just described. Yeah. And then... They didn't send you home with those exercises to practice while you were at home with them. You you just had to come back each week and then they would do them again. And then you you didn't really know how to get mm. doing at home. So this is something that maybe somebody can learn and get them involved in and then they can practice together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of free resources online for even chair yoga and um, breathing exercises. And there's a lot of stuff available. It just is a matter of digging into it and doing it every single day. That's the thing. You have to do it. And it's not like a you take in a leave and your headache goes away. It's a you have to sit down and force yourself to think about breathing, you know, and to think about focusing, how much do we focus now? Like I have a hard time focusing on whatever post I'm writing because my phone is going to ding or the kids are screaming in the background or, you know, so in, in today's society, our brains just don't focus very much as much as they did, you know, even 20 years ago before I had the smartphones and the internet the internet. <laughs> so, so any, anytime you're sitting there spending time focusing on these things and doing it every single day, I do believe you'll, you'll have a different.
Well, that and that answers my question about how many times a week should somebody practice yoga. Um, you're, ta- so, you're talking to a yoga teacher. <laughs> yeah, so it should be every day. <laughs> you know, and if you're doing a really strenuous physical practice, you, you're supposed to take your one day off, one day off a week. And um, I practice at least five, usually six days a week personally. But that's because I know, I can tell the difference when I don't. My back hurts when I don't. My left leg doesn't want to, to do what it's supposed to because the injuries are still there. And if I don't remind those muscles, to keep firing, then then they're going to be like, peace out, Holmes. I don't want to do this. <laughs> when I reached a certain age, it, my body's doing the same exact thing. <laughs> so I, I, this question, this question is not meant to be uh, offensive to anybody, but there are a lot of people out there who are body conscious these days. And I think this question is important. It came up several times during uh, my initial research. So if we can clear this up, um, and I'm sure you probably know what my question is going to be. If someone is overweight or underweight, should they avoid yoga or is it a benefit for them to start? And should they feel self-conscious about that? Um, I have, I'll just say I have relatives that are very self-conscious about their body and they don't want to go into a studio full of others thinking that everybody's going to be looking at them. I'll have, I have two things to say about that. Yoga is for every body. If you have a body, then yoga is for you. It doesn't matter if you're overweight or underweight. Um, I am not the typical yoga body, you know, like the, the people you see on Instagram that are six foot, 120 pounds with stones in their pockets. Like, no, I've, I've always been, you know, I've, I've just been a very, very athletic and thicker person and it works for me. Um, it, I know as women, especially, it's very hard because we have these images put all over the, the, all over everywhere, social media, commercials, everything about what is beauty. But if you take a second to look around, there's very few people that meet that six foot, 120 pound ideal, right? And my dad growing up, God bless him, I'm so thankful for him. It, it took me until I was near about 40 to, to get this, but he was yeah, he was like, you know, everybody's so worried about themselves, they're, they're not paying attention to you. And it's true. <laughs> It's, true. <laughs> it's it's very very true and the what i can say about going to a studio if you if you feel like you're underweight or overweight is i would try several studios because there are going to be studios where you know if you're in the the certain parts of town the college part of town where there's all the young girls blah 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 yeah you you might feel a little bit out of place but if you go to another studio that might not be downtown might be in the suburbs then you're going to get people of all ages, all sizes. And that's kind of where we are at Thrive. I love it. We're in the suburbs. So we have some college kids and we have some people that can walk around the room on their hands. We don't do that. Don't don't get me wrong. We don't do that, but they could. And then we also have, we, we have clients into their 80s and we have every body size that you can possibly imagine. The, the one thing I would caution with regards to, to having, if you are, if you do deal with any sort of weight, whether it's overweight or underweight, what I don't want, if there's no strength there is to go in and just focus on mobility. Oftentimes, and you can find this on social media with overweight or not overweight people. And it, this is what hurts me and hurts my heart as a teacher is you find all these people that are hypermobile that's I'm using air quotes they're using your mo- their mobility for their yoga practice and they're not using their strength 
And if you, anybody, overweight, regular weight, underweight, anybody that comes in and just relies on the mobility, which is equals relies on their joints to get them into the it quote into the postures that equals injury. And so a lot of times people that are drawn to yoga and I might be getting on a soapbox, Michael, I apologize. That's right. They're already kind of mobile and they already have this probably propensity to be more mobile than not. And so what happens is they think they're progressing further in their practice faster because, oh, look, you know, I can put my legs behind my head. You never have to put your legs behind your head. You never have to. And you can still practice yoga. In fact, if you get into these things where you're you're. Do, moving further than the range of motion than you should without the strength to keep your joints there, you got something broken. It's like you're seeing studies, you're seeing stories and studies of, of people injuring themselves, overweight or not, because they're doing these stretches and their body, yeah, technically they're limber enough to do it, but the muscles aren't there to support it. So you put all that, you put all of that stress on the body doing the splits or doing the whatever, and the muscles aren't there to support it. And then bam, you got a recipe for a disaster and then yoga hurt me. And it wasn't yoga. It was you practicing a posture that was not meant for you right now because the muscles weren't there to support it. Does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense. Okay. And, and okay. I think that people need to go into, it's just like going into even any kind of fitness. When you go into there, don't go into there with the expectation that you're going to be able to keep up with everybody else that's in there who may be at different levels exactly. than, than you. They could be intermediate. They could be advanced. Mm -hmm. They could be beginners. So in your opinion, where does a beginner start? At the very beginning, no. Um, I almost started singing Sound of Music for you there. Sorry about that. <laughs> so hey, <I'll... laughs> We may get a few more listeners. It's okay. <laughs> so it's interesting that you asked, where do, where do people start? It depends on the personality. So for me, I just jumped right in because I didn't care what other people were doing. I just knew that whatever it was that the teacher told me to do, my back felt better. So even if I looked like an idiot falling all over myself... I was going to do it because it made me feel better. But again, I grew up with my dad saying, nobody's paying attention to you. They're too busy worrying about themselves. So maybe it was kind of ingrained in me already to be like, I don't care. I feel good. So I'm going to do it. But I realized like my mother would never do that. My mother, oh my gosh, she was, she's much more, I would say shy and um, just, she's not as outgoing, I guess. And so for people like that, you can do things online and there's, and we have online, like Thrive Yoga and Wellness has an online platform. I don't, that's not my favorite form. If there's not a yoga studio near you, then by all means, get online, get a book, do it. I prefer going to a studio with some people that have experience and training and a lot of training to make sure that you are practicing the posture safely. So they have beginners classes. Like our studio is about to start a beginner's yoga series. We do little series where if you want to get started and you're in a, uh, and you're worried about being the only one that didn't know anything, you're going to be with a group of other people that don't know anything. Right. And so I would just look online and if you have the resources and including the studio nearby, do a little bit, a small investment, learn the basics, and then you can go home and practice it on your own. But the benefit of that is, especially if you are hypermobile, um, you're not going to get in these postures and be like, look, mom, I'm doing this posture too soon. 
you, you'll be, you, hopefully the teacher would say, you know what, you're locking out your knee here. And if you continue to lock out your knee, that's going to cause this chain of reaction to do X, Y, Z. Let's soften it. Use your leg muscles to hold you up. And then it might not feel like it's as deep of the posture, but it's a safer version of the posture and it's building strength. Very good advice. Please tell us how to get more involved in your studio, Thrive Yoga and Wellness. Sure. So we have a website, thriveyogaandwellness.com. We're also on Instagram at thriveyogaandwellness.com and Facebook at My Place to Thrive. And we do offer, like I said, we do have some online programming at Thrive Online, which is thriveyogaandwellness.com forward slash thrive dash online. And I do offer some, some really intensive private um, training online if you're interested. Um, but it's it's one of those things where just try it. And the, the yoga, it's one of the yoga is one of those magical things. If you try it and you, even if the first one you try, isn't, isn't for you, try it again. You're going to, you're going to find something that speaks to you, that speaks to your, your core and you'll, you'll find the benefits of it. And I'm not supposed to use the therapy aspect, but you'll find how it changes you from the inside. And whether that's with me, which would be awesome, or whether it's with, you know, anybody that's online or anybody in your, in your, in your neck of the woods. I, I totally believe that yoga can transform you. And I just say, try it, practice it. Excellent words of wisdom. And as I say, the first step to failure is the one you never take. So take that step and yes. get involved. Yes. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. It's been a great conversation. Um, you educated me in yoga. You educated our listeners in yoga. So uh, again, I thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. That's it for this episode. I really appreciate you all listening. I appreciate Jennifer Dixon and her knowledge she shared with us with yoga. You can find the links to her website and how to contact Jennifer at Thrive Yoga and Fitness and learn more about online classes on her website in the show notes. This is your host, Michael Arhurst, signing off for this week. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.